Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I am talking with Yvonne Kelly. Yvonne has many roles in your region with a focus on addressing the challenges of marginalized communities and families. Welcome, Yvonne. Nice to be here, March. Yeah. No, I'm very glad that we uh, could find the time to do this. Yvonne, I've known you for a long time, um, <laughs> but uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what are you involved in? Certainly. So by profession, I am a social worker with a focus on community development and health promotion. I've been working in York Region for close to 15 years now. It might even be 15 Um, having started working at the Food Network, York Region Food Network, and then moving on to work full-time at the York Region District School Board. But my passion is community development. My passion is uh, social justice, looking at the policies that impact people on the ground and how we can push for better, essentially. So in the last three years, we've started or catalyzed uh, the Affordable Housing Coalition of York Region. Interesting story. We started just before COVID. We had two in-person meetings, one in Aurora and one in Newmarket. COVID hit. We went online. We've been online ever since. Mm-hmm. So that's a three-year, uh, three-year and a bit, uh, working, uh, supporting uh, individuals with housing precarity, advocating for better, and really looking at the policies that are actually the reason why we're having such uh, a a housing crisis in York region and elsewhere pretty much across Canada. Mm. So that's a little bit about me. Right. So what do you see as the challenges, the real challenges facing newcomers that are trying to settle here in York region? So housing is one of those challenges. We have probably the least purpose-built rental housing of any region anywhere in Canada. We have basement apartments and in out of nine municipalities, I think maybe three have uh, legal basement apartments, meaning that they have bylaws in place to ensure that any new uh, suites or basement apartments or anything that's created are safe and up to code. But I often say, which is is really sad, but it's the truth. If it wasn't for illegal apartments, illegal basement apartments, we would have twice the homelessness that we have right now in York region. So especially newcomers, very few choices, very little money will settle wherever. Maybe there's other community, but primarily it'll be driven. Their choices will be driven by where they can find something not even affordable, but the most affordable thing they can find to, to live in. So that's a real challenge. I also find that we are becoming um, home to many newcomers, many refugees, which is amazing because they bring so much richness and diversity. But I do think people come and hoping for better. And often the, what they're faced with is, you know, an inability to get work, an inability to, to get a place to live. Sometimes that's based on racism and xenophobia. 
and just finding the work that will allow them to afford to live here. It's a very expensive place to live, York Region. So there are federal services, there are settlement programs, but the very basics of, you know, affording food, affording housing, uh, th those things pretty much determine everything else in your life. And to be able to have a job and to be able to to have the access to transit, to be able to get to those jobs and to get to school and all the other things that we take for granted. Uh, so that, yeah, there's a lot of challenges for newcomers. I think everyone's trying to do something, but we're not often as sectors and as different levels of government working closely together to recognize where the gaps are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the issue with housing really, I see it. Uh, as a really complicated issue, like what is the solution? Um, there's calls for government to fund it more, but you know, I, I feel like it's not just putting in the go federal government, the provincial government, putting in more money. Is that correct? Would you agree? I would agree that that's a place to start, especially when we look at what happened, what what was the case in Canada when we didn't have a housing crisis of this proportion anyway. One would argue very successfully that we've always had a housing crisis. Anyone who's had to rent has been vulnerable and kind of at the whim of you know who they have to rent from. And, and so that hasn't always been, for many communities, indigenous communities, black communities, other racialized communities, um, and just any communities that have you know not had the ability to earn middle range to high range incomes, it's always been a struggle. I think what we're seeing now since the 1990s was the federal government decided to let the marketplace kind of determine what was going to happen regarding housing. So the investments in social housing, the investments in, in housing that was affordable at the federal level came to an end. And also the provincial, depending on what provincial government you had, would pick up some of those pieces, but we haven't seen nearly enough of that. And so it's been a, a glut in terms of housing development at the rate or at the cost that most people can afford. So even middle income, low um, working class incomes, and for those who live in poverty and are on the sidelines of the economy, housing just hasn't been built. So it's increasingly become reliant on the market, on either individual homeowners renting, but what we're seeing even since 2005, 2010, is that the government also made a decision to not tax people's investments in real estate. So real, real estate investment trusts have just ballooned. And these are bigger companies that can buy up huge amounts of housing and buildings and basically renovate them or turn them into condos or, in, or buildings that will garner more income for them. And on the other side are individual people who are just investing in how real estate who maybe don't even realize what's happening. Like you could be investing in something and benefiting from it. And then your generation, the generation coming after you will never be able to afford a place to live. So the financialization of housing is what we call this. It's a global trend. Uh, Leilani Farha, who was the UN Rapporteur on Housing, a Canadian lawyer, really brought that home very, very clearly in her movie called Push. And we've seen that at the local, at the municipal, at the provincial and federal level, everything that could be done to maximize profits at the expense of having people be able to, to live securely in their homes. So this is where we have to address the issue. So it does require the provincial and federal investment. It also requires regulation of what we've now created, which is this really hotbed of financialized housing. 
Mm-hmm. Meaning mm-hmm. it's we call mm-hmm. it a human right, but then we do nothing that really well, I won't say we don't do anything, but I think that yeah. these are the things we have to curb if we want to make sure that we're going to be able to produce and secure and maintain the housing that we already have that's affordable. That's a huge piece. Yeah. So basically I'd say like two major points is one is the government providing social housing and two, there needs to be regulation, which is I think easier said than done of the financialization of housing. It, right yeah. now it's people are, so much of the housing is not for people that doesn't care if people are living in it. It's really an investment. And it's an to, investment. Yeah. We and need you know to what? Really question that. It's one thing for a family home to be your investment. That's always kind of been the case. That's usually people's retirement savings. It's another thing, which is what we're seeing is global and international. I think mainly our problem in Canada is, is homegrown. It's, it's local national companies and real estate companies and, and companies that are buying properties and sometimes whole neighborhoods. So that's yeah. what we need to regulate. And it's it's not as complicated as one might think in some respects, because there's a lot of policy levers, even at the municipal and regional level, that can be used to address this. Like we've provided a list of nine things that a regional municipal governments, <clears throat> excuse me, in York region can do to start addressing this. Okay. Hmm. That actually sounds helpful. You, you look around, you uh, going businesses, you see it online. There are a lot of help wanted postings, but everyone's not prospering. Like, what do you say? Like, why doesn't everyone just get a job and we'll all be fine? There's a disconnect. (laughs) Well, that's always been, you know, kind of the mantra, like everybody just gets a job. I can't say entirely. I know that COVID had an impact on people taking just any job. Um, I think there's a real understanding now that it takes a lot more to live um, that a lot of these jobs can actually afford to, or a lot of these jobs are paying. I, I don't think that there's a problem. Um, always, as as all business would say, we can't afford to pay more. Uh, I think the difference is to take a job that pays minimum wage and to have to travel to that job. I mean, these are things that aren't lining up the way they could. I mean, transit in York Region is what transit in York Region is. And I've known for years that it can take one and a half to two hours just for a person that lives in Newmarket to get to the other side of Newmarket on transit to get a job. So even if people got those jobs and paid for all those other costs and the housing piece in particular, um, I I think we're a long way from people prospering. I kind of laugh when I hear um, where everybody prospers. We'd be satisfied if everybody had adequate lifestyle could afford food, housing, uh, and the ability to provide a better life for their children. I think we all want that. But what we're seeing now is a more of a growing divide. So actually, York Region is has the highest rate or highest increasing rate of precarious types of jobs, especially in the southern end. This was a report done by McMaster University and United Way probably six years ago now, and they've done a couple subsequent reports. So when you think of the big job influx and the increase in jobs, they're all pretty low paid jobs. A lot of them are jobs that are seasonal, um, temporary contract. So those don't those jobs don't feed a family, let you buy a house and prosper. Those are jobs that you pretty much survive on. So a lot of those help wanted posters and jobs don't come with benefits. They're usually part-time. They don't really pay the bills. So I think maybe what you're also seeing is job seekers are 
searching for things online they can do to cut down costs, increase quality of life, commuting to somewhere else where they might get a better paying job. So you will always see those job want ads. And it's not that people don't want to work. They know now what they need in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And three part-time jobs, how do you coordinate that? That's the other piece, right? Yeah. Yep. I think we, uh, we've got some, as a community, we have some soul searching about how things are right now. I agree. Yeah. Estimate, you know, what what percentage of the population do you think really is struggling in Europe region? So you can look at Stats Canada, which is always a little bit behind where we are right now. You can look at um, York region statistics and demo de demographics. Of course, it does also have to do with communities and identity specific communities. So um, our Indigenous communities always have lagged behind in terms of ability to have decent incomes, decent housing, our black community, other communities. But if you just want to generalize it, when in my work with the school board, I've actually estimated when I look at income levels by school catchment area, that 25% are really struggling, 40% are probably struggling in a way they never expected to. Because five years ago, we're talking five years ago, York Region's Making Ends Meet report declared that a family of four making below 80,000 was just kind of on the edge of doing okay. Maybe could put a little money away. Maybe could deal with a situation that came up. That's And most people think that's a lot of money. It would be more now. It would be more that's required to live that. That 80,000 now is probably the new 90. I'm hard, It's hard to say. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of folks uh, are living very, very precariously check to check it's so it's not just the exception now it's actually more of a rule and typically when you hear people talk about people in poverty they're talking about people in the deepest poverty the people who are so far below the poverty line if you're on social assistance on disability pension if you're on employment insurance for a short time and then you go on some other form of assistance you're living 60 percent below the poverty line so so if those are the only people we're counting we're missing a whole group of other people who are hovering around the poverty line and there's where you meet your basic needs that's not where you have extra money for kids to take part in a summer program where you if your car breaks down you have money that's there sitting in the bank to fix it so it's very precarious, very stressful, very traumatic, I would say. I think we are watching a time where more and more people are going to under, undergo or experience the trauma of living in poverty. Yeah, there's sort of a ticking time bomb there. Yeah, and we could have seen this coming a long time ago, and many people did. And, of course, COVID put, you know, put us in the fast lane. Uh, but we learn things. We just aren't acting on them. Yeah. Post -COVID. Yeah. 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 Now, uh, York region is a very big region. I mm. see it as a very diverse region. You know, what's happening down at Young and Highway 7 is not what's happening up in Georgina. Um, how do you how do you characterize the diversity, the differences within the different mm. parts of York region? So I think a lot of times when people are talking about York region, there's a single story of affluence and most often they're thinking about the three big municipalities in the southern part, like Vaughan, Mark, and Richmond Hill. 
that's what people know, especially if you live in Toronto, you know what's just north of you. Um, I think across the region, that's still kind of the single story. And as we just talked about, it's it's changed drastically. Um, I think if I had to say the difference in housing isn't that much because you might get something a little cheaper in Georgina for housing, for rental, but there's so little stock. And what we're seeing is a conversion of older affordable rental stock into something that's much more expensive when we see people being evicted because that place is going to be renovated and all of a sudden what was affordable is no longer affordable. That's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you will have more uh, stock in some of the municipalities to the south, but it's not anywhere close to enough. We have a 13-year waiting list for people who want subsidized housing or want just affordable housing. So it's it's an issue right across. As far as diversity goes, I think what we're seeing is more people moving further from the bigger centers, more people moving north to Newmarket, to East Gwillimbury, to Georgina, um, Holland Landing, because of the cost of housing. I think that's really what's pushing people north, even further than York Region. And we've seen a lot of families right across the region who've left because they can't afford to live here any longer. Uh, so I think the problem and the, the 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 challenges are universal, and people move for different reasons. And if you're moving not out of choice, but because you have to move to where you can live a little bit more more reasonably, that's why we are seeing more people move north. It's just there isn't much up there, right? Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a family uh, a rental that's two or three bedroom, forget it. Yeah. yeah, those don't exist, and we're not building them. No, that's the other piece, right? Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of the I've looked at the reports for what they want to build and it's all one bedroom, 700 square foot. And, you know, if you've got two or three kids, like it doesn't work. Um, Yeah. So. And then the other side of that story is a lot of uh, landlords and owners aren't renting to people with large families. So that's not legal, by the way. We have a human rights code in Ontario that does say these are the reasons these are not valid reasons to discriminate when someone wants to rent from you. But we see that again and again, we see race, we see size of family, we see single led families or people on uh, social assistance and disability pensions who are even face bigger barriers. So first of all, there's hardly anything. Then you have folks who are facing really huge barriers um, to, to just getting a place to live, right? I mean, life starts after you have a place to live. It's hard to have a life, a job, anything, go to school, um, it's really hard to live in your car and have your kids go to school every day and get to work. Yes. Yeah. You need a place to go crawl into bed at nighttime. So, mm. Yeah. Now I, I, we were talking about the differences um, within York region, but how would you characterize the difference between York region and Toronto? Well, that's a really good question. I think Toronto has always had uh, a, because everybody wanted to live there at one time. So, Yes, there was always an overpopulation and probably a, a scarcity of housing um, or scarcity of affordable rental housing. However, I would say now there's actually more chance of finding an affordable unit in Toronto than there is anywhere else. I mean, in terms of the GTA. So for sure, York Region, maybe Peel. I know that several families that have left York Region that, I, that I've worked with have gone to Peel, to Durham, to Kawartha's, uh, to Toronto. Uh, so I think... Also, Toronto, for all its issues and challenges, has has adopted a right to housing framework. 
and are working on things like a vacant homes tax to kind of regulate what we were talking earlier about, that speculation piece, getting more homes back on the market. Uh, for those that choose to keep their homes vacant for speculative purposes, there's a tax. Vancouver's successfully done that. A lot of other Ontario municipalities are either now starting to do that. We just voted in New York Region, the council, not to do that this year, to put that off, that decision off for another year. I still can't figure out why. Uh, so there are things that can be done. Toronto's kind of always played a lead in some of those. And I think you're seeing that there, and there is more effort to build some affordable, not nearly enough. We have a long, long waiting list everywhere with more and more people renting right across Ontario. Yeah. It seems like York region is not the ideal place to not have a good income. So I, that's an understatement, but yes, I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, so you've talked about some solutions, um, anything else that you think could, you know, make things better? Mm, I think a lot of things. I mean, I think right now we're really concerned that the provincial government isn't really playing a role. In fact, some of the things that they've done most recently uh, with some of the bills that have been passed, you know, taking away powers from municipal and regional governments so that when developers build in an area, they kind of have full reign right now and they aren't paying development fees, which I think should bother everyone. How is a municipal or regional government supposed to even build affordable housing or even build services to uh, support those new builds? Mm -hmm. Taxes that would normally go to school boards to build schools and sewage and water, all those taxes on development are gone right now. So it's severely stretched municipal and regional governments. But I'm not going to preach to the provincial government in this one because I don't think they're going to change their way. I think people do need to pay attention to that. So aside from that, we do need the federal government to get back into the game of housing. Because right now, I think after 25 years, is it 25? It's closer to 30. Uh, the experiment of just giving this over to the market is not working. Also, the whole mantra, which again, the province has said, build, build, build doesn't address the problem. It doesn't trickle down. It doesn't mean that because everybody who wants a huge monster home gets one and that eventually frees up basement apartments. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, regulation, the vacant homes tax, uh, demolition control bylaw, which York Region doesn't have, which means that at a time like this, when our vacancy rate is extremely low, meaning very few available, available rental units, so we fluctuate between one and 3%. 3% is a healthy vacancy rate, but we're always below that, meaning we have a real problem. So if companies are demolishing older buildings to build new, that means we're losing housing. And so those types, that control means that the municipality of the region can say, look, right now isn't a good time for this to happen. We need to maintain and preserve existing affordable stock. We don't have that. Yep. So we have a nine point plan that I'll provide um, on our website, Social Planning Council of York Region, which is kind of home to the Affordable Housing Co Coalition of York Region. It's a pledge of nine positions, nine policy levers that municipal and regional governments can work on to increase the like that can actually increase affordable housing and preserve affordable housing even at a time when other levels of government may not be doing their part. So we hear all the time, oh, this is a provincial, this is a federal, we can't, there's lots municipal and regional can do. And we had that survey presented to all candidates running in the last municipal election. You can see on our website where people have indicated which of those levers they are in favor of and which they are not. 
But that's the work we have for the next three years, which is to really move people along in terms of recognizing what they cannot, what they can do, even in the face of some pretty big challenges. So, so that's where I would direct people to take a look at all of those things and learn more and get in touch with us if you want to be part of this, because it's, it's, it's hard. A lot of housing needs to be built. A lot of people have to be educated so that they don't lose their housing because they don't know their rights, because that's another big issue. Uh, so we feel like tenant education uh, and protection is really important, but it's not high on anybody's list right now. So those are, there's so many, many things, Mark, that we can do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think we, uh, we will put uh, that document, a link to the document you spoke of in the podcast notes, and I implore Excellent. people to look at it and uh, have a discussion uh, with their regional co- mayor and regional council. And uh, hey, what are you doing? And we need to put pressure on, we need awareness. So thank you so much for all of that. So uh, are you hopeful? Hmm, good question. I think at this stage of my life, I am always cautiously optimistic, but I think I've probably lost a little bit of that optimism in the last few years, especially when we know what could happen and governments seem to be going in the opposite direction, like saying one thing, doing or not doing what could really help the situation. And I think because this is such a global, um, it's a huge issue. And And yet the thing that gives me a little bit of hope is that housing is now the number one issue on people's minds when it comes to going to the polls. It just can be very daunting to start to understand and unpack. That's why we really want to educate people now as we head towards the next one. And we just had three elections in the last two years. (laughs) We'll have another passable elections coming up soon. Um, I think what I'm, what I'd like to see more is just, ordinary people who care about their communities getting involved in public office. I think too often we have people with vested interests and agendas uh, who want to be in positions of power, but maybe don't have a keen interest to understand these issues from a community point of view. That's what we need more of, right? And even from a fiscal point of view, we argued with, uh, or argued with, we deputed at the region that with not implementing a vacant homes tax, that's kind of bypassing their ability to to put a deterrent in place for speculation, as well as raising some money eventually, not right away, but eventually to help create better housing or create to take care of people who are homeless. By not doing that right now on the homelessness and community outreach side of the equation, more and more tax dollars are being spent to support people who have no choice, who've lost their home, uh, sometimes mostly unrightfully so. So, why are taxpayers and regional politicians not worried about that? Like we can take care of people if we recruit and recoup the tax money from those who are already making lots of money Mm -hmm. investing in housing. Yeah. But we choose to use taxpayers dollars to help bail people out of homelessness. Why not just try and do something to prevent that in the first place? That's my thing. Right. And it actually is the most fiscally responsible. So that usually is an argument that works, but for some reason it's not working right now. So people have to ask the tough questions and ask, wonder what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we need more awareness and uh, it's not finding why somebody's drowning is going upstream and figuring out why. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I've heard that over and over again. It makes so much, so much sense. And uh, we need to say it over and over again. Mm -hmm. Anything you'd like to add, Yvonne? 
I think I snuck in my last uh, piece there, which is okay. just about why are we not doing what we could do? And I also feel like ordinary people like us who are not housing experts, we're not policymakers, we're advocates, we're community people, we want to see the best things happen in our community. We actually sometimes have more, at least as much or more knowledge about some of these issues than our elected folks. If you think about what they step into and have to know a little bit about everything, I've found that there's very few people who are making decisions on our behalf who really understand the complexity, the historical context of what's happened with housing in Canada, the options that are out there around the world to do things differently. And that's not a slight on them. It's the reality of people needing to know a lot about a lot of things. So don't ever discount yourself, your knowledge, your ability to research and understand these things and take a stand in your community, you know, and stand up when someone, when they need to build a shelter because we're not building housing that people can afford. So for God's sake, if you have to have a shelter for people, is that not better than them having to choose to live completely, you know, at the whim of, of weather and whatever else. Yeah. So I think really people just educating themselves and then, you know, get involved and, and stand up and say, as a community, as a country, we have to do better. Um, I've heard people from Europe say, really, in a country like Canada, that's so cold, you really have homelessness? How, how, are you, how do you people sleep at night? And I'm like, well, it is yeah. kind of astonishing. Yeah, it is. Uh, we need a little more compassion. Uh, that's a great place to start always. Yeah. So to me, compassion is uh, an action word. It means making yourself feeling uncomfortable and doing something about it. And that's really what you're asking for here. Well said. Yeah. So I do like to end all the podcasts with a question for my podcast guest is name one thing you really like about this community. Wow. So I kind of have work all over York region. Like I work, I'm physically situated in Newmarket. I do a lot of work um, throughout the region. I'd have to say, this is going to sound cliche, but it's the allies and the people that I've met through all of my work and all of my volunteer work that have great aspirations and great hopes for better, who are increasingly willing to stand up and band together. This last fall with the municipal election, 25 not-for-profit organizations endorsed the pledge that we presented to York Region Council members and all candidates running for office. That's never happened before. And I think it's because there's been a fear of getting waving, wading into political issues, publicly stating that you endorse something that could be taken as political or, or partisan. So I see movement and that's what I love. I love that we have some incredible people and communities wanting to work together and, and, and to make things better. They have a lot of work to do, but that's what make, that's what gives me hope and keeps me doing the work that I do. Very good. I like that. I like that answer. A little different than many. It's not, people say restaurants or diversity or trails. I like what you say that we have some good advocates and allies. It's a, a very nice answer. So I rarely yeah. have the same answer as anyone else. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Good. So again, thank you, Yvonne, for taking the time to do this podcast and uh, please keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, March. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at marj, M-A-R-J, at marjandre.com. 
I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected. <laughs>